Amen. Well, have your have a seat, everybody. Take your seats. Have a seat. That's good. I I want to uh, commend a movie to you if you haven't seen it. Jesus Revolution. Um, it's it's a, it's an amazing story. If you were say back in the seventies, like me and Nita were. I mean, this was the Jesus People movement. Just to give you an idea of my and Nita's background, our very first church after salvation was called Jesus People Church. So this is the story of uh, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Greg Laurie, who is a big-time evangelist right now. It's based on a book that he wrote. And what I appreciated about this movie was not that it was all glorious, because it wasn't. It was glorious and it was messy. And that's the way a lot of revivals go. And so I just want to commend, you, commend it to you if you have the time to go and see it. Somebody told me between the services that it's going to be out of town by like Wednesday or something. So it's not going to get a lot of, it, of uh, screen time. You know, it's a Christian film. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them to Romans chapter 8. I'm uh, going to look at a, a portion of scripture there about prayer. Um, I want to... Uh, read the entire passage that the, the verses that we're going to really pay attention to, verses 26 and 27, but I want to read the whole passage because it affects everything else that goes on in verses 26 and 27, just so that we have that context of the verse. So um, verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, indeed, we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed uh, to us. For the creation waits eagerly, well, with eager longing, for the rev uh, revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption." and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for, for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. And here's the two verses we're really going to focus our attention on this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know, uh, for we do, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, 
we thank you for this word of instruction. I pray that you use it uh, like, uh, like Pastor Jamie had illustrated as a goal to, to guide us and to lead us and protect us. Uh, and that we will hear the voice of the shepherd, Jesus. Not my voice, not our voices, but we want to hear from Jesus here so that we can hang on to the things he tells us. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, I went through a period this last uh, few months, um, sort of like November, December, January-ish, and a little bit into February, where, where it was like a dry period, you know, reading the Bible was kind of flat, but mostly praying. My praying was like walking through a desert. It was just dry. To be honest with you, it was boring, okay? I'll, just be, I'll admit it. I once had a professor who opened up a class on the spiritual disciplines one morning and said, gentlemen, and we're all pastors, I guess he thought we were gentlemen, and he said, are you bored with your praying? Now, we're pastors, we're in a Christian seminary with a Christian prof, nobody should lie. So we all had to admit, yeah, we're bored with our prayers. And he said, I'll tell you why you're bored with your prayers, because you're praying the same thing about the same things in the same way every time. And I went, huh, you're right. No wonder I'm bored. And if I'm bored, what was God thinking? So he told us how to change it up. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we, as we move along. I came to the conclusion, I have come to the conclusion a long time ago, that for Christians, the, the spiritual discipline that's the hardest is prayer. If you ask any Christian, anyone, how's your prayer life going? You're going to get this. Oh, not so well, right? How many of you would, if I asked you right now, how's your prayer life going? How many of you would say, great? How many of you would say, okay? Look, Paul is talking about that. It's the hardest discipline, I think, because it's a spiritual discipline and there's a supernatural event going on when we pray. So it's a supernatural discipline that is met by a supernatural resistance, but God gives us a supernatural solution. And here's the resistance. Three enemies, an unholy trinity of the flesh, the world, and the devil. That's right. So like the flesh, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning at 4 o'clock and pray. Not happening. If, if my watch goes off or the alarm goes off, I'm rolling over. Nah, I'm just too tired. Now that happens to us. I'll pray later. I'll pray during the middle of the day. Yeah, that doesn't happen either. The uh, world, have you ever had a time in prayer when you were praying and all you could think of was this laundry list of things you have to do before the day is over? That's the world pushing its agenda into your agenda. And of course, the hardest is Satan himself. Satan resists and hinders every chance he gets against our praying. And the reason is simple. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it because he can't do it. You see, when we pray, we pray to an authority much bigger than ourselves. We, we, we humble ourselves before God. Satan will never bow the knee to God. Therefore, he never prays. And he hates it when Christians do. So we have these enemies, these supernatural enemies that are warring against us when it comes to prayer. But the good news is we have supernatural help from the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself. 
So we're going to look very carefully at um, these two verses, verse 26 and 27, and see how does this work? How does, how does this work in our prayer life? Well, the first thing, notice, the first thing that Paul says is, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, if he had just stopped there, every one of us would have a whole, you know, three, four, five things that we could say, yeah, these are my weaknesses, like, you know, distracted praying. Like I mentioned, you start thinking about your laundry list of things and chores that you have to get done. But then there are others, like holding a grudge against someone who's offended you. You know, we would pray and you go, oh, or, or maybe you've offended someone and you know that you have and you have not reconciled yet. And those things, or, or this one, a, a, a cherished sin pops up in your mind and in your heart and you ignore the warning of Psalm 66, 18 that says, if we cherish sin in our hearts, he will not hear us. So verse 26 doesn't stop there, though. I mean, we, are under, we understand what the weaknesses are. We have them. They're, they're, they're sort of implied. But Paul goes on in order to identify clearly what the weakness is. And it's the struggle that we all have. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know what to pray for. In other words, we're ignorant. Now, I want you to turn to somebody that you came to church with today and just tell them they are ignorant in prayer. Go ahead. Tell them. Tell them. You are ignorant in prayer. Go ahead. I just, I just thought you should, you know, we'd have something to say to people. Say, what happened to you in church today? Well, they told me I was ignorant. <laughs> Why not? Let's admit it. We don't know how to pray for things as we ought to pray. That's been our experience often. You know, do we pray for the elderly person who is on his or her deathbed? Do we pray that they're healed and run? Or do we pray that God would take them home? Which is probably what they want. They don't want us praying them out of heaven or keeping them out of heaven. They want to go. But how do we know? Right? How do we know to pray for this thing or that thing? That job or, you know, that, that person that we might want to marry? Or how about deliverance? You know, think about Paul's dilemma. It's all of ours too. Should we pray for deliverance from a thorn in the flesh, something that's really aggravating, something that's keeping us back from fully uh, 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 obeying the Lord, or, or should we pray that God sustains us in that, through that pain? You know, oftentimes I come to the end of my praying for something that I really really um, am churned up about and, I, and I, I put all these words out there and I get to the end and I just go oh God you know right shortest prayer in the Bible help that's, a, that's okay that's a great prayer in fact well Christians all over the world have this struggle it's a struggle with ignorance it's not just baby Christians it's everyone even Paul included himself in this so I was looking for examples in the scriptures of uh, ignorant prayer, <laughs> um, and I found one, um, uh, Samson, Judges chapter 16. You probably know the story of Samson, you know, big strong guy, beats up on the Philistines every chance he gets and laughs all the way home, and he, and he finds this lovely young woman called Delilah, who is a real pain. Anyway, we won't go there. And so the Philistines bribe Delilah to find out What's the, what's the strength this guy's? Where's it coming from? What's it about? And so she does the very best thing she can, and he gives her this 
crazy story about, you know, if you get brand new strings or, or uh, for a bow and you wrap me in them, I'm, all my strength is gone. So he's captured by the Philistines. They do exactly that. He busts the springs, uh, strings and, you know, whips up on a few guys. Then she just presses him and presses. She wears him down. I don't know what his problem was, but he just can't resist anymore. And he says, okay, this is it. It's my hair. In my glorified body, I'm going to have hair like Jesus. So he says, it's my hair. And, you know, if you cut it off, the strength is gone. So she does that. And the Philistines come in, they grab a hold of him, they poke out his eyes, and then they drag him away in chains to their temple to the god Dagon. They're having a big party and a big feast inside the temple. And here's the prayer that Samson prays. I want you to listen carefully to it because I'm going to put it together with another prayer in just a moment. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me. Now it sounds like he's bargaining. Please strengthen me. Only this once, O God, that I may avenge, I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He's praying for revenge. Let's hold that thought. I have a friend who this week um, is a good friend. We just found out he's going through something nobody expected he, him to go through. Nothing. It was just the farthest thing from our minds. Uh, Pastor Jamie and I talked uh, with him this week. And I'll tell you what, I didn't know how to pray for him. He asked us to pray for him, and I, I just, I just kind of went, uh, God help. You know, it wasn't much. But the weight of what he's going through and the desire to pray for him just would not leave me. And then uh, in the last couple of days, I found a prayer that just captured what this is like when you're in a place like that. Here's the prayer. Father, I don't know what to pray for here. I don't know what should be done. I only know the need, and I feel the burden placed on my heart by your Spirit to pray. In my ignorance, I ask for Jesus Christ to be exalted and your will to be done. That's a great prayer. That's a perfectly legitimate prayer. I think much better than Samson, who he could have said, oh God, you know, avenge me, that's fine, but do it for your glory. You see the difference? The second prayer was for the glory. Even in our ignorance, we can pray for the glory. That's what makes our ignorance, ignorant prayers meaningful. So how is the Spirit our helper? He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now this word help, he helps us, is a very interesting word because it's the combination of three Greek words put in a row that I uh, have rarely ever seen before. It's, there's a prefix and another prefix and then the verb. You know, one prefix is good, but two is better, I guess. And here's the prefix of this word. It is together with plus, in place of, plus, to bear or to remove. So what you get is the Holy Spirit is the one who comes together with us by taking up that heavy load in our place, that heavy load of ignorance and not knowing how to pray, and he shoulders that heavy load 
with groanings too deep for words. Uh, Nita and I used to have this upright piano that we were given, and it had the, I don't know, it was all metal on the inside. No individual person could move it for an inch. When it got into our house, it stayed where it was for like three or four years, and when we did eventually get to move it, there was a line in the carpet that just would not go away. It was that heavy. But we had to move it. So I asked six of the strongest guys I knew who would come by, lift that piano, take it up a flight of stairs, out the front door, and into the truck. And as they did, you know what they were doing? And I was not one of the six, I can guarantee you. Now I'm going to do that to my back. All they could do is grunt. You know, nobody had the breath to be able to say, what are you doing with a heavy piano like this? I'm glad they didn't ask. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Lifting up this heavy burden that he has placed on us and praying it. Uh, In Psalm 5, I was reading that this morning, and David said, you know, hear the words of my groaning. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? What does David mean by that? It has several uh, several possibilities. hear, hear Hear my musings, hear my murmuring, hear my complaints, even hear my singing. But I think this was the one that David had. Hear my grief. Hear my grief. Hear my groans of grief. Sometimes we groan in prayer and we just simply cannot find the words. Sometimes, uh, you know, is, Paul says the spirit groans here. Is it wordless? Is it silence? Is he, is he groaning like lifting a, a heavy piano? Is, the, uh, is it the groans of sorrow? I want you to notice something. I, don't ha- I, I should have put these on a slide, but I didn't do it. There's three times that word groanings is used in this passage. First of all, in verse 22, it says creation groans, creation groans. And I think what Paul wants us to remember is Genesis 3, where this all began. Because that's where the fall happened and the curse of God on Adam and Eve and the serpent and, they were, and creation and they were kicked out of the garden and the world has been groaning ever since. It groaned just, a, what, a couple of weeks ago in Turkey with an amazing earthquake. That's groanings. That's the groaning of creation. Floods. Fires. That's natural evil happening. The earth is groaning, waiting for something. Well, it also says in verse 23 that we groan, and there Paul means the church. We, individual Christians, as well as the church. Do you remember the time during the pandemic, once we were able to get back together, or maybe you saw it online, and the elders would pray, and we, we all, almost always prayed a lament prayer, like, oh God, this is awful. We have people dying all around us, thousands and thousands of people sick all over the world. This is horrible. God, when is this going to end? That was groanings. Those elders were groaning for something good from God to take place. And then finally, we were told the Spirit himself groans. The Spirit enters into all of this groaning. Why? Well, he does what Jesus does. He identifies with the groanings of his people. He steps in. He lifts them up. He gives them articulation. And and so he groans. This groaning shows that we are longing for the return of Christ to set everything right. Like like it says up here, if you can see it, come, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer that John prays. Oh, God, come. This is our dilemma, wrote an author. We are caught in tension between what God has begun by giving us his spirit and what he will complete in our final adoption and redemption. The indwelling of the Spirit gives us joy, 
And the coming glory of Christ gives us hope. And in the in-between time, we experience discomfort and longing, so we grow. Isn't that the way it is? We have, we have this longing for Jesus to come, and we have this groaning for the way things are, and so we groan. Now, I believe this is a very significant truth to hang on to because it's an encouragement in prayer. The cause of our groaning reminds us of what God has planned for us, the full redemption of his children and freedom for creation. Hope in the completion of what God has started, Philippians 1.6, he will finish what he started until the day of Jesus Christ and then glorified bodies that will never have grown again and hair, no sickness, no death, no sin to get in the way of anything. The good news in our articulation in praying is that the Holy Spirit is, as a friend of mine, uh, as, a, as a, uh, an author I know, but not a friend, he said, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and corrects them on their way to God. Uh, a friend of mine uh, before, uh, in between services said, here's what I got from your sermon, Bob. What you said was, my spaghetti-like prayers, all the fumbling, all the, all the I don't know how to pray and everything, and the Holy Spirit takes it, sorts it all out, makes it straight out, and then he takes it to God, right? And I said, you got it. You got it. Sometimes my prayers feel like spaghetti. I wish they were lasagna. They'd be straight and layered. But no, spaghetti. All right, how does he do that? And the spirit who searches the hearts knows what is the, oh, I'm sorry, and he who searches the hearts, meaning God, the Father, knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what the spirit is doing here uh, is, like I said, straightening out our prayers. God is searching the motives of our heart. He's looking into the heart. What is, the, what is going on in there? What's the motive? What are your thoughts? You know, sometimes they're like Samson. Sometimes they might be pure and you can't get the words out because all you can do is just go, oh, God, help. Father knows that. The Father knows that. But he also knows the mind of the Spirit. And so all of that is put together and the mystery that I think is wonderful, a wonderful mystery is that in our ignorance and in our weaknesses, the Holy Spirit intercedes perfectly to fill in the blanks of our prayers and address them to the Father perfectly. J.I. Packer said this. It was like correcting our ignorance, our uncertainty, and our fumbling for words and making all of that by the, by the Spirit perfectly aligned with the will of God. So when we pray, now just think about this. How can we not pray, and how can we not pray, uh, uh, pray uh, with enthusiasm? We have the Holy Spirit praying for us and in us. We have God the Father listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying, which is perfect. And there's also Jesus who is interceding for us the whole time. And then we're praying. We're like, you know, we're at the bottom of the rung, okay? But that's all right. When you've got the Trinity praying, hearing, how could you go wrong? You can't because it's not about your praying. 
It's about the will of God being affected in the lives of the people that you're praying for. Now, here's two final questions. The first question is, what is the basis of our confidence that we can freely come to God when we pray? Well, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. This is the basis that we have for confidence that we can come freely to God the Father with our ignorance and all of our requests. For all who are um, led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our confidence in prayer isn't something we do. It's not at all. Not at all. It's not in my praying. It's not in my discipline. It's not in using the right words. It's not even in my earnestness. It's not in any of that. It's in God. It's in God. He gives us assurance that we are God's children and we call him Father. So the Holy Spirit leads and prompts our actions and we pray. Now you may think, you may think, as I have several times, that he won't hear me because I failed God so many times. Paul Washer has a great quote. I love it. Here's what he said. I've given God countless reasons not to love me, but none of them have been strong enough to change his mind. That's a great thing to hold on to in prayer. Our confidence in prayer is not our praying, but it's the Spirit who helps us and the Father to whom we pray. That's where our confidence comes from. Now, the second question is, what guarantees do we have that God is going to answer any of our requests in ways that really matter? Here it is, verse 28. And we know that for those who, are called, uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Regardless of our inter ignorance, regardless of not knowing what to pray, regardless of not finding the right words and our faulty and selfish prayers sometimes, they are no hindrance for God in order to answer perfectly and meet the needs for those for whom we pray. He guarantees it because God is just that good. So how do we apply this? Uh, let me get, leave you with these four things. First of all, we only learn to pray by praying. Now, I, I, I love reading books. I read books all the time to find out all kinds of stuff. I even try to keep one book in my reading during the year about prayer just to keep me going, just encouraged. But you do not learn how to pray by reading a book. You learn how to pray by praying. So if you're not used to praying, I get it. Like I said, it's a spiritual battle. But here, try this. Pray five minutes in the morning or five minutes in the evening, whenever you can get it in. Just pray five minutes. Pray about anything that comes to mind. Pray about any urgency, uh, urgent thing that's in front of you. That's all right. You just pray those things. And if you're into it for two minutes and you're done, you're done. Come back the next day. Plan to go five minutes. Maybe the next day you'll be two minutes. You're done. Come back the third day. 
now you find yourself, you're really delaying you know, three minutes of prayer. I will guarantee you that the more you pray, the more you will want to pray. And that five minutes will stretch into 15 or 20 or even an hour. So you learn to pray by praying. Secondly, remember that prayer equals dependence. So when you pray, pray first for help, right? It's like the pre-prayer to the prayer. Pray and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. Because it's all about dependence. This isn't about something you and I can do, like out of the genius of our brains. This is something we need the Spirit to help us with. So every time, every time before I pray, I like to come to church to pray, and I go up into the um, gymnasium where I've never spent a day in my life as, a, as an athlete. But I go up there, and I, and I walk around, because I like to walk when I pray, and the very first words out of my mouth are, Oh, God, help me pray. Just help me pray. I'm not very good at it. I've been around people who are really great at it, so help me pray. And then I pray. Now, the last bit, uh, the third bit, rather, is to pray the word. Pray the word. This is so, so helpful. This is what my professor said. He said, when you're bored, pray God's word. And I start with the Psalms. Um, I have, like, a specific list of people or things to pray for during the week. Uh, uh, last week, I was praying for my family. That was that day. I was praying for my family. So Nita's at the top of the list, and then our daughters, and our grandkids, uh, then my brother and some other relatives um, uh, on Nita's side of the family. And, and I'm praying, but I was in Psalm 17. Psalm 17, or I'm sorry, Psalm 19, verse 7. It's about halfway through. Uh, and, and so David says in, in, Psalm, in Psalm 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And Nita was at the top of the list. That was her verse. And that's what I prayed. God, every time my wife opens the word, do what David's asking for here. Revive her soul. Just make her joyful in God. Let, let your word be her delight. Let you be her delight. I'm just going off on I, I ways in which she might be uh, 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 someone who enjoys the presence of God. It's not that she doesn't. She does. But that's what I wanted to pray for her. So pray the word. Because I found what happens is the Holy Spirit will drop into your mind Ways that you can pray that are like springboarding off that word for your friends, your family, whoever it is you're praying for. And it's okay. You know, it's okay to take written prayers and pray them because you do the same thing with them. You will think of something else. The Holy Spirit will give it to you and you can pray it. You can pray it. Okay, the last thing is Pray, then watch. Watch. Look out for what God will do. It may not be something that you had thought of. It may be something very different. Maybe it'll happen within a day, or maybe it'll take 20 years. You have no idea. But watch. Be careful and watch. Remember what you pray for, and then watch what God does. In, um, in Acts 12, uh, remember the story where Peter was in prison, and the angel came and led him out of prison. The guards never even saw him. Well, he went, to the, he, went, he went to where the disciples were, and they were praying when he, when he got there. They were praying for his release. Now he's standing at the door. He knocks on the door, and a, a woman by the name of Rhoda comes to the door and says, Who is it? Because they're kind of hiding, so who's out there? And he said, It's me, Peter, open up. And she goes, Wow! 
out. She runs back in. She tells everybody, God's answering our prayers. Peter's standing at the door. And they, and they all said, no, that's his ghost. Forget about it. God, we just pray that you release Peter from that prison. That's how we are. That's the way we are. So watch, watch and pray. Now, all of this is aimed at a Christian, at the child of God, uh, the one who calls God Father. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. Father, pray our Father. It's not perfectly legitimate to say Lord Jesus or um, uh, God or uh, Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, pray Father. Why? Well, Father is such an important relationship in the lives of his children, in the lives of their children. And you know in our nation right now, we have a problem of fatherlessness. It affects families everywhere. Dad can be living at home, but absentee, period, right? Or maybe he's gone. And it's a, it's a, it's a blight on our nation. An unbeliever, if you're here today and you can't call God Father, you have to face the fall and the curse of this world without help. All you need is a father. You need a heavenly father. He's better than any father you've ever known. He's perfect and infinite in his perfections. He is majestic, and when you say, Father, he does this. What is it, my son? What do, you, what, what do you need, my daughter? I am here to listen. Now, in, in Romans, in an earlier verse, it says those, those who are in the flesh can't please God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you are none of His. If that's you, I want to invite you to consider what does it mean to have God as my Father? the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants that for you. He wants to draw you into his family that way so that you can call him Father. Father. Abba, which is a, um, a Semitic way of saying Daddy. That's how intimate it is with God. Father. Otherwise, you have to face this fallen world all, all, all on your own. All its frustrations, all, all of its uh, disappointments, and there's, there's nothing to help. The resources of the Spirit that we've been talking about here this morning, they are absolutely free. You don't have to do anything to have them. But they are locked away like a treasure in a vault that you can't open or break into if you don't know God as your Father. And the solution is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes by yielding to Christ. So I want you to consider that this morning, if that's you. This will change your life forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will teach us to love prayer. That you will help us to live our lives before you in public and in private at church and at home, perfumed by the incense of the blood of Christ in our lives. 
We confess our ignorance, Lord, when it comes to prayer. We don't know how to pray as we should. And we confess our, even our willful rebellion for prayers uttered from cold hearts and selfish lips like Samson. But we take comfort that Jesus' righteousness covers all of our iniquities. And we rejoice that his obedience weighs more heavily on your scales of justice than our sin and satisfies that justice in full. Holy Spirit, by your power, may the throne of grace become the delight of our souls. Let us know the steadfastness of the Savior's love, the relief of repentance and reconciliation, and the privilege of sonship. Fill us with the kind of faith that considers all things possible and believes that you are a God who loves to give far beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Make us to grow persistent in prayer until Christ is the treasure of our hearts, the topic of our lips, the center of our hopes and longings. And it's in his great name that we ask these things. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and sing together this final song.